Good morning. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here and glad we have this opportunity to worship God together. Have you ever been tasked with giving somebody some advice when they're in a difficult situation? It can be difficult sometimes, especially if you're not really sure what to say. Remember when Lori and I lived in Tennessee, we lived just moments away from the campus of the college there, Fried Hardeman, and uh, toward the end of our time there, you know, I was like a couple years older than some of the people who were going through college, and a lot of times they would come to me and ask me for advice for problems that I've never had to deal with, and they just thought just because I was a couple years older, somehow I was a couple years wiser, but that's not necessarily the case. And I would fumble and struggle and try to give them some piece of something, usually from the Bible, of course, to try to help them. But sometimes it was really difficult. Peter, of course, is not like me. He was an inspired apostle. And in 1 Peter, we can read, especially at the end of his letter to these Christians, some, not just advice, but some commands for them to help them get through their hard time. If you read the letter of 1 Peter, and if you pay attention to the first couple of verses, you see that this letter was written to these Christians from all these different various places. And as you read through the letter, it seems that they not only were experiencing some kind of persecution, but they were being mistreated because of their faith. And what do you say to somebody who's going through a tough situation like that? Peter, at the end of his letter, like a lot of the letters in the New Testament do gets really practical at the end and he tells those Christians some things that they can do to help them get through that time of difficulty. Some things they can do that will lead to the Lord helping them, establishing them, strengthening them. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll begin at the beginning of that chapter. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse number 1. And we're going to see that he starts generally talking to some the elders in the church there, and then he goes on to talk about uh, those uh, who are younger, and then he goes on to talk about everybody. And he gives all of them uh, more than advice, but these commands on how to live as they should and to make it through a tough time. So notice there, reading with me there in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd arrives, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So notice there Peter's admonition to these elders. And you might think, what does that really have to do with this group of Christians going through a tough time, going through a time of persecution, going through a time where they're struggling and they're struggling even to be faithful Christians? Well, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived in isolation. It's not to be faced alone. It's to be faced in a community. The Bible calls that community the church, a group of people who, according to the Bible, are overseen by these elders, these shepherds, and they have a very unique, they have a very special role in bringing along, uh, bringing along God's people on the road to faithfulness. But notice that he starts with these elders. Here in this time where uh, 
life is tough, when people are struggling, when people are persecuted, he especially has something to say to these elders. And he commends himself as having authority to advise these elders in three ways. Notice the text. Peter says that in the first place, he is a fellow elder. We get some insight into Peter that's not really given us anywhere else. We know from the Gospels that he had a wife. Do you remember when Jesus had to heal his mother-in-law? When you have a mother-in-law, that implies that you're married, uh, usually, almost all the time, right? So, uh, so you see that, that he's married, so we know that he was an elder, too, from here. And likewise, he's a witness of Christ's sufferings. It's not that just that Peter heard about it. Peter was there. He saw what Christ had to go through. And then, thirdly, he's a sharer of the glory that is to come. And Peter says, look, just like you, I'm a Christian, I'm an elder, but more than that, I have witnessed Christ's sufferings. And notice what he tells these elders, these elders here who are overseeing people going through struggles, who are overseeing people who are having to overcome these challenges in their lives. He says in the first place, to shepherd the flock. It's just like the command Paul gave to the elders in Acts 20.28, to shepherd the flock that is among you, because uh, God purchased the church with his son's blood. But it's to do it in a specific manner. Peter says, not under compulsion. Remember in 1 Timothy 3, chapter 1, it says, if somebody desires the office of an overseer, this is a good thing. An elder shouldn't be somebody who just feels like they're forced to do it, feels like they have to do it. It's something that is to be desired. And likewise, they're to do it not for shameful or dishonest or sordid or greedy, depending on your translation, not for shameful gain. In 1 Timothy 3.3, it says that elders are not to be lovers of money. That's not why they get into that role. That's not why they step into that role. And lastly, they're to elder not in a domineering way. Elders are to use their authority to serve, not to exalt themselves or to seek their own best interests, but to help the flock of God. Remember, Jesus told his followers in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, that the leaders of his people aren't going to be like the leaders of the Gentiles, who uh, dominate those who are underneath them, who lord themselves over those who are underneath them. Instead, the leaders, Jesus would say in his kingdom, are those who serve others and become slaves to all. And Peter is speaking to these elders so that they know how they ought to shepherd the flock so that they can lead them through this difficult time. And those of us who those of you, rather, who are elders, those in this congregation, maybe, who aspire to be elders, this is something to keep in mind. But even just as God's people, we know that when we go through struggles, we don't have to go through it alone. Not only do we have our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we have overseers, shepherds, who have a vested interest in our well-being, who actually care about us, who actually are looking for opportunities to help us. And I know that that's true here, and I hope you feel the same way. Likewise, there's commands for those who are younger. They're going through a difficult time. Notice what he tells the younger people. 1 Peter 5, 5, beginning uh, the first clause of that verse. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The command is to be subject to the elders. And this isn't to encourage blind obedience to whatever the elders say. It's a, com uh, you know, if elders command something that contradicts God's word, uh, they ought not to be followed. But we must all, no matter our age, if we're not elders, humbly accept their judgments and follow them as long as they're in step uh, with Bible teaching. But I think it's an important point that even if I disagree with the judgment the elders make, 
I should joyfully submit to their leadership. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones who are going to have to give an account for how they've shepherded the flock to God. And if I can in good conscience, I ought to submit to them. And again, remember, for a people going through persecution, for a people going through a time where they're uh, experiencing suffering on almost every corner, Peter's telling them, look, you have a system. You have a support system, if you will. If you submit to the elders and follow their leadership as they lead you in the right path, you'll be blessed. And we should, as God's people, seek to make elders' lives easier, not harder. We should seek to uh, uh, go in line with, what they, uh, with their matters of judgment while we obey God. And really, if you think about it, rebelling against the matter of judgment isn't worth losing our soul over. And it's certainly not worth the drama that it creates. And again, you might think this is irrelevant, but in times of trouble in the Christian community, in the church, we have those shepherding us who are looking out for our best interests. Just like we talked about not too long ago with the sheep, when they're going through different difficult situations, their shepherd is there to protect them, to help them. And the same ought to be true for our congregation as well. Peter moves on to commands for everybody. This is practical things. Look, we, Peter would say, I know you're struggling. I know you're experiencing persecution. I know you're suffering. And they might say, Peter, how are we to act? And he gives them some things. Notice in the first place, they ought to be humble. Toward the end of verse 5 into verse 6, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you. So it's not just elders, it's not just young people, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And Peter says, why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, notice the result of humbling yourself, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. One writer said, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. And if you've ever been in any kind of relationship, I think you can see that that is the case. If you're trying to be close with somebody who truly believes that they're way more valuable than you are, the relationship isn't going to work out very well. If you're, maybe you know somebody like this, I hope not, who thinks that really everything should be about them that really they are the most important person in the world and the universe revolves around them. And when they walk into a door, everybody should bow down to them and, and seek to their knees. That's not the life of a Christian. Not only do we submit to the elders out of humility, but we submit to one another out of humility. Humility really is a necessity in the life of an obedient Christian. If you think about it, conversion requires humility, doesn't it? Think about Acts 2, when Peter's preaching that first recorded gospel sermon, as we often call it. And he's talking about how, look, Jesus really has been proven to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And those people who were listening had an option. They could, in their pride, ignore that fact. And they could just continue to deny it and say, there's no way I'm going to accept the salvation of God. Or they could, as it says many of them were, they could be cut to the heart a realization that they truly have done wrong, a realization that they truly need to turn from that and to turn towards God. That requires humility. But it's not just in conversion, a willingness to acknowledge and to reject the pride that says we're always right. It's not just required in conversion, but it's required each and every day as we go about our lives, as we deal with other people, 
as we seek to be faithful to God and look to him to guide us and not ourselves. Think about it from the perspective of those in Peter's audience who were suffering. And you're suffering and you're struggling and you're being persecuted. And you think, Peter, really what you tell me is to be humble? But sometimes that's exactly what we need. Sometimes we multiply our own problems and our pride, thinking that we can either handle it all by ourselves or thinking, you know what, I'm way too good to have this happen to me. And Peter reminds us, no, we're not. We have to be humble and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And there's a truth Peter speaks to here that really is seen throughout the Bible. And it's that somebody is going to be humbled one way or the other. All of us. Either we're going to choose to humble ourselves or God will humble us for us. There's really no other option. If we walk through this life blind to the things of God and we think almost that we are God and we can choose to do what we want and we're wiser than he is and we're smarter than he is and we're more capable than he is and we'll just live however we want, at the end of the road is going to be an experience that is extremely humbling. When the Lord says to this person, depart from me, I know you not. But if we humble ourselves in this life and rely on God in this life and look to him in this life, we know that there is a reward waiting for us. Notice just there in Peter, in, in 1 Peter at the end of verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if you've had a choice, do I want God to oppose me? Think about how serious that is. The same God who created everything that exists from nothing with just his word to be opposed by him is the worst fate imaginable, while receiving his grace is the best thing we can think of. And what's the difference here? Peter says the difference is humility. Even in a time of suffering, acknowledging that we are just God's creatures, that we are the clay and he is the potter, and no matter what happens in our lives, our duty is to give glory to him and not to ourselves. Next, Peter says that we ought to be prayerful. If you're somebody who's going through a struggle, if you're somebody who is experiencing hardships in your life, Peter says be humble. Use the support system God has put in place. And thirdly, we ought to be prayerful. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And there really is a connection between this verse and the verse above it. It's almost as if Peter is saying, humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Sometimes pride manifests itself in our life as worry. Worry can be a form of pride. At least I've seen this in my own life where we are refusing to believe in the sovereign care of God. When instead of giving it to him, casting our worries on him, believing and trusting that he is sufficient enough to see us through it, we say, I have to do this myself. And sometimes we crumble because we realize that we're not capable enough. And instead of giving that to him, we try to carry it around with us and figure it, us, figure it out for ourselves. Some people, they only trust themselves and they don't trust God to deal with their problems. But Peter tells us when believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand. They acknowledge that he is Lord, they acknowledge that he is sovereign over all life. And here Peter is saying that really, in suffering, we see what we're made of. We see if we're willing to give that over to God or if we're going 
to choose to keep it for ourselves. One writer wrote that affliction either drives one into the arms of God or severs one from God. And maybe you've seen this in your own life. Maybe there are some special cases where that's not the case, but I know people. I think the people I would say who it seems like in my life are the closest to God, they've gone through some horrible things. And they made the choice to say that I'm going to allow this suffering, I'm going to allow this hardship to bring me closer into the arms of the one who created me. And I'm going to let my worries be known to him. I'm going to leave it for him to take care of. And I'm going to trust that he will. We see here that Peter says the solution to worry is resting in the care of God. It's not just that we tell God what we're worried about because, you know, it just, uh, it's practical for us. It's expedient for us. No, Peter says cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's not just that he's there. It's not just that he exists. It's that he actually cares about you personally. Not just us collectively, but you personally. He cares about Forrest Antimaceris. And if I can reciprocate that to him and say, God, I know you care about me. Here's something that is really bothering me. I'm going to trust in you that you're going to take care of it. I'm going to give it to him, and I'm not going to carry it around on myself. Paul would tell his audience in Philippians to be anxious for nothing. And of course, that's easier said than done. But Paul doesn't leave them without practical advice. He said, instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your cares be known to him. And he says, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it transcends our ability to, to grasp it. Other people look at us and say, how could you possibly have peace in this circumstance? That peace will be ours and it will guard our hearts and our minds, Paul says. The creator of the universe cares for us and we can put our worries on him. In times of suffering, in times of victory, whatever we're facing, God still cares for us. He's not indifferent to us and we ought to voice our anxieties and cares to him. Psalm 55:22 tells us to cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. A lot of times we want to carry them around with us, and try to figure them out ourselves. But Peter says, when you're going through a hard time, cast them on the Lord. He does care for you. Next, his audience and us, we're told to, notice this, be sober-minded and alert. So it's not just relying on the community around us. It's not just being humble. It's not just praying and giving God our worries, but it's being sober-minded and alert. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter says, how are we going to overcome this? There's this foe out there. There's this spiritual threat out there. And God's people are subject to him and his wiles every single day. What do we do? We're to be watchful. We're to be vigilant. We're to be alert. We're to be aware of what's going on. I, uh, some of you guys know this, but I'm really scared of dogs. Not all dogs. Small dogs don't scare me. My own dog doesn't scare me. But if there's a big dog and I don't know who its owner is, I'm terrified. I had some bad experiences as a kid, and I just haven't been able to shake them. But where we lived in Tennessee before we moved back down to Auburndale was a town of stray dogs. I'm convinced more dogs live there than people. And only half of them had owners. And we'd drive through where we lived, and we would see packs of dogs roaming the streets. I'm not even joking. And I would have to go outside eventually, right? 
and I would have to walk my own dog outside. And whenever I went outside to walk my own dog, that's the most aware I've ever been in my life. I was looking around. I was trekking behind my house. I was, before I made a turn, I would go and make sure there's nothing going on. My ears were up. I was seeing if I could hear, you know, a dog's pad on the floor or something. I was alert because I was aware that there was a threat where I was. And Peter says Christians ought to be the same way. And it's not that we're paranoid and we're always checking over our shoulder, but we can't undersell Satan's ability to make us distracted. Look, Satan wants to knock us off. He wants uh, to, to deal with us in such a way that we're distracted and we lose our faith. He says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is hungry for the destruction of our souls. And if we know this, we need to be aware enough, vigilant enough to look out in the things in our life and see what Satan might be using to keep us from God. And when we're aware of it, then we can take action to resist him. Vigilance is needed because our adversary is like a lion. Paul would tell us in Ephesians 4, 26-27 to give no opportunity to the devil. What does that mean? Sometimes we help the devil out by our actions, by our thoughts, by what we do, by what we say, by where we go. And Paul says, don't give him any opportunity. Be aware of what he wants to do, what he wants you to go through, and fight him, resist him. Which brings us to our next verse. Don't just be sober-minded and self-controlled, but be resistant. Look at verse 9. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter says that to resist Satan, we can. We can resist him. We can be firm in our faith. And part of the way we do that is by knowing that we're not alone. If you're going through something, I can guarantee you there's a Christian somewhere going through the same thing. There might even be somebody here going through the same thing, and we can reach out to them and talk to them, and that can give us some help and some encouragement. But isn't it encouraging to know that it is possible to resist Satan? Sometimes we picture Satan as somebody we we cannot do anything about. He's out there, and he is going to get us, and our hands are tied, and he's way more powerful than us, and there's nothing we can do about it. That simply is not the case. He is more powerful than us, absolutely, but we can resist him. James says, in fact, that if we do resist him, he will flee, right? He's not going to force us to do anything. He's not going to override us. If we are sober-minded and aware and vigilant, we can know about his schemes, we can know what he wants us to do, and we can indeed resist him and be firm in our faith. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, he would say, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If we want to resist the devil, we have to rely on the strength of God. We have to be tuned into him, into his word. We have to be constantly uh, praying to him, seeking to follow him, doing those things that bring us closer to him. We have to be putting on that armor of God we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. And the result is we're able to stand against the schemes of the devil, we can overcome by God's strength and grace. Notice lastly that when these things are put in place, Peter said, look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You're suffering now, you're struggling now, but there's future vindication. 
There's a future of hope and glory because of who God is and because of your relationship with him. Look at verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is saying that the results of these actions, if we rely on the community God has built around us, if we humble ourselves, if we cast our worries on him, if we're sober-minded and alert of our foe, if we resist Satan, the result isn't necessarily that we won't suffer. Notice what Peter says, after you've suffered a little while. We still may suffer, but there's hope. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot to unpack here. The fact that God is called the God of all grace. The fact that God has already called us, those of us who are Christians, to his eternal glory in Christ. If we keep that in our minds, how will that help us when we go through difficulties? If we keep in mind that there is a day of future vindication, if not in this life, in the next, where if we cling to God and we stay faithful, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. God will see us through our struggles if we seek him and follow him, and he'll do so to his glory. And notice in verse 11, to God be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not Satan who has dominion. It's not the people who trouble us who have dominion. That is control. That is rule. It's God who's in control. It's God who's ruling over all the earth. So if we're going to seek somebody, if we're going to live some way, live in a way that pleases him. And the result is what happens in this life we'll be able to overcome because of him and his grace and because of who he is. So I don't know what everybody is going through this morning. Maybe you find yourself in a time of temptation, a time of transition, a time of trial, a time where there are a lot of difficulties in your life. Whatever it is, know that God is willing and able to see you through it. And that if you will seek him, follow him, and cling to him, it's not just he might reward you. It's not just he might help you, but he will. It might not be in the way we expect. It might not be in this life, but we know for sure that it's coming. If we'll go to him in humility, cast our anxieties on him, resist the devil, and tap into God's strength so that he can confirm us and our place in his kingdom. That's an opportunity today for all those who are in Christ. But there are some here who have yet to even approach these kinds of blessings. There are some here who have yet to put on Christ in baptism. Today is the day to do that. Not just because the preacher says so, not just because that's what I'm supposed to say, but because that is what God wants you to do. Because our sins separate us from him. That makes our life even more difficult than it has to be. And we walk around sometimes with pride, sometimes with whatever it is keeping us from God. But God invites us to put all that on him. To be plunged with his son in the watery grave of baptism, to arise to walk in new life. That is a blessing that is for us all today. And it's not that your life will have no difficulties. Whatever difficulties you face, you will not face them alone. You'll have a group of people who love you, and the God of all the universe will be in your corner. 
Maybe you have something you need to get off your chest, something to confess. Maybe you have a prayer request. Whatever it is, we want to help you this morning. Please come forward while we stand and sing this song.